Welcome into the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down Pat Narduzzi's comments on new Nebraska offensive coordinator Mark Whipple and whether or not Nebraska fans should be concerned. Before we get into that, though, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, as that really helps the channel a lot. Now, with all that out of the way, let's get into it. Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. And now your host, Christian Hunt. Pat Narduzzi had this to say about former offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. Our old offensive coordinator had no desire to run the ball. Everybody knew it. He was stubborn. I mean, Wake Forest 118th in run defense, and we threw the ball every down. When we ran it, we ran it for 10 yards, but that wasn't good enough. We only ran it twice. Now, that got me thinking. I broke down a little more of what he was saying there and what he really probably meant by that. Again, he wasn't that far off when he said Wake Forest was 118th in run defense last year. That was an accurate statement. They ran it more than twice, obviously. Uh, They didn't necessarily average 10 yards in that game, but they did throw it more than they ran it in the game, right? So I want to break some more stats down for you so you guys can make a formulated opinion and whether or not Nebraska fans should be worried uh, about, you know, well, their new offensive coordinator. All right, let's check it out here. Okay, Pitt was number eight in team offense last year, all right? Kenny Pickett, who was the quarterback for him, was in the top 20 for yards per attempt and completion percentage. He was also a top five quarterback, right, in terms of yards and touchdowns. Pitt also, or they also finished 28th in terms of passes had intercepted. Okay, so they're very, they're a very efficient team, right? That's what you can sort of gain from listening to all this here. They're very efficient at what they do. They also finished top three in scoring offense last year. Now, this is what Kenny Pickett had to say about uh, Mark Whipple. He's always looking to add things from other offenses that we can implement and make ours better. I think that's what makes him such a great coach. I know a lot of coaches are stuck in their ways, but he's a guy who al- who's always learning new things and I respect him a ton for that, which is which is great, you know, but let's let's dig a little further into this here, right? This is where I think for Nebraska fans out there, this is where I think it gets a little bit Not so great for you guys, right? Listen, Pitt gave up more sacks last year than Nebraska did. Okay. Now, granted, you're going to say, well, Christian, you know, they probably threw the ball more. So, Nat, you know, yeah, I get that, right? But if you go back and you look at Nebraska's spring game, which I did, I went back and I I broke it down and and checked it out. Here's what I saw their offensive line looked pretty rough, (laughs) even in that spring game, right? So let's kind of look at the next thing here. Well, Pitt was ranked 77th in rushing last year. It's hard to tell how this is going to translate, right? As Nebraska didn't really tackle in their spring game, right? They did this sort of weird wrap-up thing where it was like two-hand touch, but they, they weren't tackling. So it's really difficult to really tell how they would have done in that. Nebraska finished 46th in rushing last year. Next up on this, we've got Pitt. Okay, they were tied for 44th in tackles for loss allowed last year. Nebraska finished 60th. Okay, and if you go back and you watch that spring game, you'll see that might be a trend that can continue. Okay, this is typically, all right, typically it's a bad sign unless, 
unless you have uh, the first quarterback drafted to the NFL in your backfield, as Kenny Pickett was, right? Now, the reason why I say that is because you think about it. If you're getting tackled for loss, right, a lot throughout the year, here's what you can expect, okay? It's going to put you behind the chains on down and distance, Okay, that's going to force you to throw the ball more. When you're behind the chains and you've got a lot more of these situations where you have to throw the ball, you have to get 10 to 15 to 20 yards or whatever have you, your O-line is going to have to play a lot better and they're going to have to hold their blocks just a little bit longer to let your guys get down the field. Okay, now here's the other thing that could be a little concerning, right? That's a bad recipe for a quarterback that didn't play well last year okay, at Texas, who had a shaky O-line, and that's Casey Thompson, right? He didn't have a great year last year, uh, you know, at Texas behind the shaky offensive line. So if you're expecting Nebraska's O-line, who, again, we just went back and said they hadn't looked particularly great in their own spring game, if you're expecting them to hold up and really make a huge difference in giving Casey Thompson that time to throw the ball, it could be a recipe for disaster, right? You know, when I went back and I looked at that game, it's not like you're going to have Jordan Addison or some of these other guys out there to go get the ball, right? Nebraska in that game, they looked talented, but they looked like they were lacking a little something, right? The receivers weren't running the best of routes. Uh, the quarterbacks, uberly talented as they may be, looked like they were out of sync a lot of the game and it just they weren't making the right reads there was a lot of stuff there it was like you know when you watch when you watch the the, the great teams if you will right the great offenses the great uh, defenses in college football they work at every position every level right the lines blocking well uh, the running backs are carrying out their fakes really well uh, the quarterbacks are able to make the right decisions they're not throwing off their back foot uh, the wide receivers are running crisp routes and they're not dropping passes. I saw everything I just mentioned, by the way, I saw all of that, uh, not exactly the way you'd want to see it in the Nebraska spring game. But here's something else, right? I started thinking about this. I said, okay, you know, last year, Kenny Pickett had a phenomenal season, right? And it really went a long way and he credited Mark Whipple. I wanted to take a step back. I want to say, okay, what about Whipple? specifically what is his last few years leading up to last year in Kenny Pickett what does that look like well I went back right and I went back probably back in 2011 okay now this is in 2011 he took the job as the Cleveland Browns quarterback coach I know somebody out there as soon as I said that they probably were like oh god <laughs> no I'm just kidding right but seriously he took the job as the Cleveland Browns quarterback coach here's what's interesting about this they went four and twelve that year. He only made it. He only lasted a year as the quarterback coach for the Cleveland Browns. Okay, after that, he took the head coaching job at UMass, and he was there for, I believe, he was there for three years. In three years as the head coach at UMass, they only won ten games. Okay, they only won ten games in three years. That's not even four games a year, right? In a, in a conference that if you're a, you know, a head coach at, right, you should be dominating them. Now, what does that mean when we kind of look a little bit further into it, okay? His first year at Pitt, 
So we left UMass or got fired, should I say? Uh, got fired from UMass, went to Pitt. They were ranked 113th in team offense. 113th in team offense. In 2020, they were ranked 58th. So again, you know, you can look at this. I'm not trying to sway you one way or another. You can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, his first year there, they were working out kinks. They were doing this. They were getting it figured out. And every year they improved. You could look at it that way. You could also look at it as they were 113th in team offense, you know, as well. Now, here's the other part of it, right? Pitt was ranked 96th and 85th in passing touchdowns in two years leading up to last year. I'm going to say that one more time. They were ranked 96th and 85th in passing touchdowns in two years leading up to last year. When you look at Nebraska and a lot of their problems, a lot of their problems came in one possession games. They need to score more touchdowns, right? When I watched that spring game, it seemed like that, right? It seemed like there was this, there was a lot of punting, a lot of changes, a lot of three and out sort of drives. So again, other than last year when they were number three in scoring offense, those first couple of years he was at Pitt, they weren't even inside the top 50 in passing offense, okay? Pitt was ranked 120th and 109th in rushing yards per attempt leading up to last year. So Okay, so passing and rushing yards per attempt, these are all, again, important statistics to really look at. Pitt really, in my opinion, they were very pedestrian except for last year. You know, here's the reason why I bring all this up. I think you've got to look at this for what it is. Was it Mark Whipple is a fantastic coordinator and he's been put in just some bad spots as a coach? Or is it more likely that, hey, he got a little bit comfortable and he had a guy that was really talented. Everything came together and they just had a magical season. I, I don't know. I think to me personally, I think it was the latter of that, right? When you really break down a lot of these statistics, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, they improved every year. It's this, that, the other. But when you really dig just a little bit deeper into the statistics, it paints a little bit different story where they were like, barely incrementally improving in some of these major things that Nebraska fans are going to want to see out of him, right? Now, my main point with all this is this, okay? Scott Frost is praying that he can capture lightning in a bottle, right? With a more talented uh, transfer quarterback, right? Who hasn't looked great, right? Under another quarterback guru in Steve Sarkeesian, right? And he's also hoping that he can uh, capitalize on Mark Whipple, right? Who needs to get this team clicking and ahead of the chains and scoring, right? In order to win some of the, the you know, those nine one possession games that they lost last year, right? We've talked about this, those, that historic season, because no other team has lost nine games in a single season by one touchdown or less. Broke a record, not the kind of record you're trying to break if you're in Nebraska. Here's, you know, one of the last things I'm going to say on this. It seems like Whipple, Thompson, and Frost, okay, they may need a few years together to really gel and get on the same page and to explode and be dynamic, right? Here's the problem. If they don't at least make it to a bowl game this year, this may be their only year together. Okay, Scott Frost, and we've talked about this uh, a couple of times on the show here. Scott Frost is expected to win 
man, I, you know, they went five and seven last year. They haven't really, I think, won more than five or six games in a season. They haven't been to a bowl game, I don't think, under Frost. Here's the reality of the situation, and this is the way I look at it. He's got to win at least seven games this year, get him to a bowl game, potentially win that game in order to keep his job. If And what I think from what I've seen based off the spring game and digging into the stats, if this offense isn't coming out clicking and they're not upsetting somebody this year and they're not at least winning seven games showing any life of improvement, this is not going to last very long. For anybody involved here, right? I have a very strong feeling, again, if it doesn't work out, doesn't click, they're not doing what they need to do, it looks worse, if not the same as it has in years past, uh, they are going to get absolutely, they're going to, they're gonna, like I said, they're going to get torn apart. Frost is going to be let go, which probably will result in Whipple getting let go, which who knows whether, I mean, Thompson, out of all this to me, seems the, the most likely to be on this roster out of all three of the names that I've just mentioned come next year, right? So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you look back, and, and to be honest with you, if you're a Nebraska fan, hey, I, I feel for you. I really do. Your offensive coordinator, uh, except for last year, Everything leading up to this has not been, you know, taking the world by storm, if you will, right? So let's just keep that in mind. All right, moving on here, we've got some hot takes to get to. All right, so let's look at the first one we've got off the internet today here. The Big 12 will not be around in a few years, right? I, look, I get it, okay? There's a lot of conference realignment going on. I think, to me, the Big 12 has a better chance of being around than the Pac-12. Why? Well, they've got a plan in place, right? They've got a good mix of schools that are still in, and they've got a good mix of schools coming in, and they've got a lot of potential schools that could be on the way in, right? You know, you still have Baylor. You still have Oklahoma State. We just did a podcast yesterday talking about West Virginia and what they may be able to do this year. You've got teams coming in, you know, we're, you know, we'll get to this here in a bit, but you know, you've got BYU that always does a great job at managing talent. You've got, uh, if I'm not mistaken, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, you've got some fantastic, you know, dynamite teams that are going to be coming in here that man, I, 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 I'm excited to see the big 12, you know, with, with what they're bringing in now, if they can add, you know, a team such as Oregon, Washington, some of these teams like that to that mix, man, this league's not only going to survive, they're going to start thriving, all right? Let's take a look at the next one here. Alabama does not continue dominating within the next two years due to NIL. Look, I did a whole episode of this, again, a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and part of what I said on that was, seems like the NCAA is trying to break up the monopoly that is college football. What do I mean by that? It seems like the NCAA is saying, look, the Bamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Notre Dames, the whatever, right? Fans are tired of seeing the same teams make it to the playoff, win recruiting, and win the dang thing, right? I mean, come on. Is it any surprise who's picked again to win the national championship this year? And think about this, right? Here are the top four teams, just so you know. Here are the top four teams projected to make it to the uh, college football playoff. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. That's if Clemson 
you know, figures it out on offense. Fans don't want to see that. It's the same thing over again, right? I can already tell you what's going to happen this year. Bama's going to be pissed off. They're going to go out and they're going to absolutely boat race everybody they play. Same thing with Ohio State, right? Then what you're going to see happen, okay? Then what you're going to see happen is Georgia's going to come out. You know, I don't think they're going to lose a game up until the SEC championship. And then they probably will lose to Bama, right? Just simple luck of the draw. And then Clemson, right? I think Clemson figures it out on offense. And they literally will win a pretty, you know, not historically weak ACC, but they'll win a pretty relatively easy to win ACC because of how much talent they have. Then in the playoffs, here's what you'll probably have happen, right? You'll probably have Alabama, uh, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Whatever order you want to put them in, right? As I just said, all those teams are probably Georgia would be number four, Alabama would be number one. Uh, they may redo it here, right? They may put Ohio State one because they want to see the, the Georgia-Bama game as more or less a national championship game, right? And again, we know what's going to happen. It's bad for business. People don't want to see it because we've seen it so many times, right? And you can fill in the blanks what happens next, right? I've said this. I think Saban's more likely to retire, right, as athletes are gaining more control, meaning he's going to have to give up that control that he really loved about college football. That's why he jumped to the Dolphins and came back because he knew he'd be able to have that control and he'd have more influence. And that's what makes Alabama so successful is because Saban's been able to control everything. Again, with players getting more control, they're going to have to relinquish it and that could actually tarnish his legacy, which he doesn't want to do. So on this hot take here, does Alabama continue uh, not continue dominating within the next two years due to NIL? I could very well see it. I could very well see it. And I know this is my last little bonus nugget on this. When you take a look at what Bama's losing this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just roll this off real quick off the dome. They're losing Bryce Young, who's a Heisman winner. They're going to be losing uh, Jameer Gibbs, who's a transfer running back from Georgia Tech. You're going to be losing Jermaine Burton, who's your slot receiver. You're probably going to be losing your tight end, Cameron Latu, who's the returning leading receiver on the team. You're going to be losing pretty much your entire defense. I'll, I'll roll them through for you real quick, too. You're going to be losing Dallas Turner at defensive end. You're going to be losing uh, Will Anderson at linebacker, uh, Henry Toa Toa at middle linebacker, right? You're going to be losing uh, Jordan Branch at safety, Kool-Aid McKinstry right at corner, and lastly, Eli Ricks at the other corner spot. You're going to be losing so much talent, and it's like, how do you replace that, right? Especially when it seems like, like we just said, when the league's trying to pretty much do everything they can to break your team up. All right, and my last hot take I got for you, OU and Clemson miss a bowl game. This, to me, is a really, really hot take, right? Again, I believe Clemson has a better shot at getting to a bowl game, and this is the reason why. I think it's because they have, first off, they have more talent. Second off, they have more returning pieces coming in. Third off, you could make the argument that, and this is probably going to you know, fire some people up, you could make the argument that, Maybe the ACC isn't as, as good as the Big 12. Now some people are going to be like, what? But no, I mean, listen, go look at the Big 12. They're loaded. You know, you've got Texas, Oklahoma. You've got Baylor. You've got Oklahoma State. You've got, again, I just said West Virginia. Uh, you've got a lot of 
good teams in there. You know, you've got some good teams in the ACC, but it's Clemson, Wake Forest, NC State, maybe Miami, right? So, again, it's going to be interesting to see how all this shakes out. Uh, so, again, like I said, they have more talent and more returning pieces coming back. I see that very difficult, right? Is I believe they went to a bowl last year, so I don't see how they would miss out on a bowl this year, and they're returning a lot of that talent. Uh, OU still has a lot of talent, and they could shock a lot of people, right? This year, especially on defense with Brent Venables coming in. They could overperform. Now, look, I don't know what Oklahoma is going to look like this year. I don't even know what Texas is going to look like, to be honest with you, because they're probably going to be starting a really talented uh, quarterback who is yet to throw a pass in a meaningful game, not just a meaningful game, but any game that's not a spring game at the collegiate level. So I don't know what Texas and Oklahoma are going to look like. I could see them because they're bringing in a guy, a quarterback that's thrown for a million yards and they're bringing in a very talented wide receiver and a, a very talented running back and some uh, you know offensive line that's pretty good. I can see them definitely making a bowl game, definitely pushing for the Big 12 this year. Flat Rock Sports presents Cruton Talk. Got another exciting segment of Cruton Talk for you, and that starts right now. All right, starting the list off, I want to do something special. I want to go ahead and give a big shout out to Georgia Tech is they sign the number 21 running back uh, in the class in Javen Simpkins. Okay, now here's what's so great about this. He's a top 350 player, right? He's number 351 in the class. And that actually is going to help move them up to the number 51 class. You know, a couple of weeks back when I did a podcast about this and I put Jeff Collins in the hot seat, one of the things I said he had to do and tech has to improve on is they have to do well they have to recruit elite level talent in the georgia and florida area especially simpkins is out of florida he's a fast kid he's kind of like jameer gibbs right so they're doing a great job at owning the the, the bordering states right so good job tech all right next up on the list is oklahoma now oklahoma signs the number 24 cornerback in josiah wagner now, he's the number 212 player in the country, and that's actually going to help move them up to the number eight class overall. Now, when you look at the class, it reminds me a lot of what Kirby did at UGA. Now, both Kirby and Brent Venables, they are both defensive-minded guys who have a ton of experience uh, in this league. So, a lot of exciting stuff to watch on the horizon for Oklahoma here. All right, and last on the list, I've got BYU. Now, BYU, they just landed the number 16 tight end uh, in the country in Jackson Bowers. Now, he's the number 298 player in the class, and this is actually going to help move BYU up to the number 70 class overall. Now, again, when you think of BYU, right, they continue to do exceptional things with recruiting classes that are not very highly rated, right? I mean, think about it. You think about all the players they've put out. They've got Zach Wilson. They've got Taysom Hill. They've got a whole host of guys that make it to the league and who do go on to do really well. And really, they upset a lot of teams, it seems like, year in and year out. So great job by BYU there to get another great player for them. Now, when we look at it, let's go ahead and take a look here at what the actual recruiting rankings look like right now. So at number one, we've still got Ohio State. Number two, we've got Notre Dame. Right here at number three, we've got Georgia. Four is Texas. Five is Clemson. Six is Penn State. 
At number seven is Tennessee. So again, Tennessee's still doing a good job at staying inside of the top 10. OU jumped up to number eight, like we talked about. They've actually leapfrogged Bama, who is at number nine. At number 10, we've got LSU. At number 11, Miami. 12 is Arkansas. 13 is USC. And then lastly, or sorry, not lastly, uh, 14, we've got Baylor. And 15, we've got Texas Tech. Now, Tech's probably not going to stay in here. They've got 23 uh, commits already. And a lot of those guys, majority of them are three-star athletes. So it's going to be interesting to see, again, how the top 15 or so of this shakes out uh, before signing day. Flat Rock Sports presents Hunt's Hot Seat. All right, on this segment of Hunt's Hot Seat, I've got Syracuse coach, Dino Babers. Now, Dino Babers has been sort of a back and forth kind of guy, right? And when you think of Syracuse, kind of like some of these other schools that we've kind of covered, you don't really think a lot of, hmm, why would this guy be on the hot seat, right? Well, let's kind of break it down. Overall, as a coach, he has a 66 and 59 record. But in six years at Syracuse, he has a 29 and 43 record. All right, now Syracuse went five and seven last year. The year prior to that, right, the COVID year, they went one and 10. So that's probably why he's finding himself on the hot seat, right? They have only won more than five games under Babers one time. Only one sort of winning season, if you will, right? So that's got to really hurt them, you know, and hurt his chances for this. But here's the good news, though. Uh, they are, you know, right now under Babers, they're 2-0 in bowl games, so that's pretty good. Now, here's the thing, right? The school's come out, and they've publicly said that he's not on the hot seat, right? Specifically following uh, some of these last couple of seasons. But that was before conference realignment started kicking off, right? And the stress of winning got notched up a little bit more, right? So what does that mean, right? He currently has the number 68th recruiting class in the country. And that's about on par with where he's been. He's averaged the 61st recruiting class over the last three years. Now, when you look at Syracuse, right? This not really, Syracuse isn't something you think of as a football powerhouse today, right? But they actually have one Heisman winner, okay, and Ernie Davis. They've had players such as, like I just mentioned, Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, Donovan McNabb, Larry Zonka, Dwight Freeney, and John Mackey. Yeah, they've had a lot of great players, okay? So here's the other situation that I'm going to kind of present to you here. I'm going to put him on my hot seat rating. I'm going to rank him an eight, okay? I'm rating him an eight because, look, it's been ratcheted up here due to the realignment, okay, and the success of the basketball team, right? Syracuse basketball, they've won championships. They've done some great things there. And they're going to be more than likely, uh, like I said, they're going to be a team that probably is going to be looked at in conference realignment, seriously, because of their uh, geographic location, because of you know how great of a school they are academically and what they bring to the table with that, as well as the success of that basketball team. So they're going to be a pretty sought after team, I would like to think. Now, what you see a lot of with all this is a lot of programs are cutting ties with coaches, you know, it seems like right before they announce that they're going to move over and they start trying to bring these other coaches in to get them a little bit of experience here. Now, here's the other side of this, right? They, they seem to be going 
the opposite way after a 10-win season a few years back, right? They had a 10-win season, and they've really slacked off since then. Now, they're returning 16 starters from last year. So here's the reality of this. He's got 16 starters coming back. This is a make-or-break year for, for Syracuse. I mean, it just is. If he cannot win at least eight games this year and pick it up on the recruiting trail by at least cracking inside the top 50, man, it becomes hard to keep that guy, right? It, like We talk about all the time. There's so many other uh, younger guys that seem like they're better candidates at the time, whatever have you. And it becomes tougher with all this stuff where, you know, for conference realignment, hey, you know, we need the middle of the pack or the, the worst teams in our, our conference to win. Now, again, like I said, he's got 16 starters coming back. So if he can get them to perform well, then they're going to be looking okay. The only thing that makes this really difficult for Syracuse, they have a tougher schedule this year. So with a tougher schedule, getting 16 guys back, uh, you know, again, like I said, you got to win at least eight games, try to at least win a bowl game here, you know, have a winning season, and then have something to look forward to so you can go ahead and pitch the university staff on what is positive going forward. If they slack off, they don't have a winning season, they don't win more than probably six, seven games, they're not really looking great on the recruiting trail, it's going to be really difficult uh, for Dino Babers to be able to keep his job. But with that being said, that's actually going to conclude this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your source for daily college football content. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.